Well, my, my name's Dave. I'm a grateful believer in Christ that struggles with alcoholism and all the thoughts and attitudes that go along with it. I was born here in Palestine. Uh, I grew up in Dallas. I was raised in a Christian home, and we lived in a typical middle-class neighborhood. I was a student at Skyline High School in East Dallas. Uh, we attended a Baptist church in Dallas. I went to Sunday school and church throughout my childhood. I accepted Christ and was baptized. I, I joined a local Baptist church after my family moved back to Palestine. Uh, I was in a youth group at church, but I really didn't feel like I fit in. I was 13 when I started drinking and doing drugs, and I had finally found a crowd I did fit in with. I didn't realize at the time that alcohol would become an addiction that would last for 32 years. I had my first alcoholic blackout at age 16. I'd been arrested five times before I was 18, hey, but I only had three convictions. So, But after I started drinking, my thinking and my attitude changed. And at age 16, I decided I'd had enough of church and their hellfire and brimstone doctrine. I was angry at church, God, religion, and religious people. And in 1979, I quit going to church. Um, my attitude at the time could be best be described as isolated, angry, and bitter. I believed in God, but my thoughts about God were toxic. I saw God as out to punish sinners for sinning. I saw God as out to punish me for all the do's and don'ts I was unable or unwilling to live up to. I've learned in recovery just how harmful that attitude toward God is to a person's mental and physical health. I was married for 12 years to someone who also had alcohol and drug problems. And at first, the drinking and drug use were really a lot of fun. I actually have some good memories from those days, B.C., before children. But there are bad memories, too. Uh, both of us had occasional blackouts. There were times when I had some control. Uh, I moderated a lot after my kids were born. There were even brief periods of sobriety for both of us during our marriage. Somewhere along the line, I became an alcoholic, and eventually the marriage ended in divorce. Um, my mom was a good Christian woman. She took care of her family. She was a loving grandmother. Uh, she was as much of a mother to my cousins as their own mom was. She was active in church. She walked the talk. She developed thyroid cancer, and she went. Uh, she underwent a round of chemotherapy and had a five-year remission. Uh, she started a business here called the Barely Used Shop, and she operated it until the cancer returned and she was no longer able to. Uh, she died in a local nursing home in 1996, and her death left me really angry at God. She never lived to see me sober up, although I know it was something she never stopped praying for. Um, I was a daily drinker, and in the early stages of my alcoholism, I discovered I couldn't drink hard liquor. Uh, my marriage had left me with an ulcer, and my stomach couldn't take it. Uh, not to be deterred by a little problem like that, I switched to beer. Um, after the divorce, I drank heavily for several years. I would moderate on weekends I had the kids and party on the weekends that I didn't. Uh, I began to use alcohol and drugs to mask the pain and loneliness I felt. My maintenance dose at that time was a 12-pack of beer a night and all the pot I could smoke. I had a DWI arrest in 1997. I lost my license for a few months, and that's when I knew I was in trouble because the only control I had over my drinking was how much I bought. I couldn't just buy a week's worth at a time. Uh, I wasn't able to ration it out. Um, I ended up drinking too much and missing work. I found a 12-step group for alcohol. 
I got up and got a desire chip when they asked if anyone wanted one. And within 24 hours of quitting, I was in DTs. Uh, withdrawal forced me to accept the fact that I was an alcoholic. Um, I actually joined the 12-step group, worked the steps, and sobered up for about a year and a half. I got laid off from my job and got a better job as an inventory control manager. I was sober. My life was back on track. Things were going pretty good. I was managing my life pretty well, or at least that's what my denial told me. Uh, I started dating a substance abuse counselor. And I told her I was an alcoholic, and she said, Are you sure you're an alcoholic? Uh, You went through a bad divorce. Your mom died. Maybe it was just a stage of grief you were going through. And looking back now, I'm surprised that entertaining that one thought led me to jump off the wagon. We were out on a date when I drank a beer. I think I wanted to believe that I could get away with it. And I did get away with it for a while. I didn't want to accept the fact that I am an alcoholic. And then my best choice is to abstain from alcohol. I cannot drink like normal people. The, sub- the substance abuse counselor lasted three or four months. I drank for another 10 years. Within six months of taking that first drink, I had an alcoholic blackout, and I was right back where I started. Out of self-preservation, I avoided drinking and driving and ended up doing a lot of solitary, isolated drinking. I was a functional alcoholic for most of that time. I was a daily drinker. It took about six or eight beers a day for me to keep from going into withdrawal. I suffered from depression. I was taking medication for depression, anxiety, and arthritis, and all those meds had a little red sticker on the side that said, do not take with alcohol, which to an alcoholic means drink a six-pack with this medication. So like an alcoholic addict, that's what I did. My attitude towards others could best be described as free-floating hostility and great skepticism. I didn't trust anyone, least of all myself. I was bitter, angry, and alone. I think true emptiness is sitting in a bar on Christmas Day so that you don't have to sit home alone. My lowest point was having a good job, making good money, having my shack paid for, having plenty of cash, having three days off every week, a 401k program, being able to go and do whatever I wanted, and not being able to go one day without a drink. I couldn't imagine living without alcohol, and I couldn't imagine living the rest of my life in the alcoholic hell I'd created for myself. I had another DWI arrest in 2008. I lost my CDL license. I had a work permit that allowed me to drive from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m., so I was basically stuck at home every night in Tucker. Um, My uncle showed up one day out of the blue, clean and sober for the first time in 20 years, which I found quite amazing. And he told me about the CR program and how it had helped him kick his cocaine habit. I started wondering if CR could work for me. I looked up the nearest group and found New Life Community Church. A friend and I started attending services here. And one day Doug said, we started this church to reach cocaine snorting and skirt chasing heathens. And uh, I turned to my friend and said, how did they know we were coming? You know, I decided I'd keep coming back. And just to see if these weird people were really serious. And Doug and the folks here are genuinely very supportive of people in recovery. I started trying to sober up back in January of 2009. And at one point, the depression was so bad, I checked into a psych hospital. 
a counselor there told me, for people like you, a 12-step program is about the only thing that works. Hey, but you're salvageable, which was nice. I didn't listen. I went back out for another year, but finally quit drinking on November 13th, 2010. And I began working the steps here in the men's group. Since then, I've been through several step studies, and each time I go through the steps, I learn something new. I'm still a member of a traditional 12-step group also. Um, I need all the help I can get. I learned something from both groups, and they both helped me in my recovery. My relationship with Christ has grown since entering recovery. I began replacing those toxic thoughts about God with the truth. God loves us. He's not out to punish me. Working the steps in CR helped me forgive myself, and I was able to forgive others. After 30 years, I was able to get over my resentment towards that church from 1979. And by doing that, my attitude toward God changed. I'd been taught religion. I finally began developing a relationship with God. And I began to feel more comfortable around church people. But that took time. I had to get out of my comfort zone in order to grow. I had to try new things. I had to learn to listen to my brothers in Christ when we were working the steps. I remember David Timbler asking me, if you don't love yourself, how can you love anyone else? The people at CR and AA loved me when I couldn't love myself. And working the steps in CR helped me to learn to love myself. And I learned how to love others. It helped me to develop a healthier attitude toward myself and my attitude towards others improved. I began seeing myself as a child of God, justified, pardoned, and by receiving God's grace, I learned to begin to show some grace to those around me. I became willing to forgive the people who had harmed me, and to, to me that is the heart of step nine. The biblical reference to this step is in Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. One of the biggest blessings in my recovery has been hearing both my kids say, Dad, I'm proud of you. You see, God heals relationships in this program too. It isn't just about getting sober. I have eight grandchildren today, and I love them all. And I'm very grateful that they've never met the old me. I enjoy spending time with them, and I actually enjoy babysitting. And yes, I still remember how to change diapers. And I've made some new friends in, in church and in my 12-step programs. I've been blessed with the opportunity to sponsor other men. They teach me a lot. Uh, my conversations with God today are different. I've learned that I really don't know what's best for me, but he does. I began asking for his will to be done in my life instead of trying to do everything my way. Things got a lot better. I began asking him for a better attitude, and my attitude started improving. I thought that all I wanted was to sober up and get my old life back. Thank God that didn't happen because my old life sucked. God gave me a better life and better things than I ever dreamed of. Things aren't always easy, and I still have bad days, but I don't have to face them on my own anymore. I know I'm still a sinner, that I still have a lot of room for improvement, uh, but I know he still loves me, and I know I'm not alone anymore. After I sobered up and began working the steps, my health improved. My acid reflux went away. I got my sense of smell and my sense of taste back. My arthritis is a lot better. My periods of depression and anxiety are far less severe, and I've been off meds for almost six years now. 
my ability to read and comprehend returned. I went back to college and graduated with honors. I got a whole lot more than I ever dreamed possible. I've had the opportunity to be the guest speaker at both local AA groups and to share my story about what God's done for me. I've shared my story with some of the students I attended college with. I've been blessed with the opportunity to be part of the recovery community here in Palestine, and I try to encourage others in the meetings I attend. To the newcomers, or anyone who's struggling with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, the principles found in all 12 steps are based on Matthew 5, 1 Corinthians 13, and the book of James. I'd like to share the verse that comforted me the most in my early recovery when I discovered I was spiritually bankrupt. And this is from Matthew 5.3. This is a Williams translation. Blessed are those who feel poor in spiritual things, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. I want you to know that God loves you. He's not out to punish you. There may be consequences to face for your past actions, but you don't have to face them alone. God will forgive you if you ask him to. He has a full pardon with your name on it, waiting for you today. You can recover if you are willing. Through God, all things are possible. Well, I grew up in the Methodist Church uh, in Elkhart, First United Methodist, uh, raised by a, a wonderful family. Uh, all, all of my family were uh, members of that church or, or a Baptist church. Uh, I was raised to, to love God and Jesus and I went to Sunday school, went to uh, church camp every summer at Lakeview, went to choir camp. Uh, I went through a confirmation class. I was sprinkled around the age of 13. Uh, I did believe that Jesus was my Savior. But then I started to get into high school, and I started to experiment, experiment with other things. I started to become really interested in girls. Uh, I started to do things I shouldn't have been doing at that age. And then I got into alcohol. And I started drinking on the weekends. It wasn't every weekend. It started off maybe once a month. But it, it started to progress from there. And I started lying. I started to tell my family, uh, if they asked me where I was going to be that weekend, well, I would have to come up with something else because I couldn't tell them that I was going to go have sex. So I couldn't tell them that I was going to go get drunk. Uh, I had to come up with something else. And uh, so I just started to be deceitful. And I got good at it. And I, I was the person who sort of the, the, the best in the class and the best in band and the, and the best in church and the number one Christian. And but yet I was living a double life. It, it was really kind of tearing me up inside. And, and I had a lot of guilt and shame and remorse. And all of this kind of progressed on into college. I went to Texas A&M University in College Station. And I loved it down there, but I just kept wanting to drink and do things I shouldn't have been doing. Um, and, and the more I progressed down that path, the more I got into alcoholism uh, or, or my alcoholism progressed, the, sort of the further away I got from everyone because people didn't want to drink the way I wanted to drink. I mean, I wanted to keep going. I wanted to drink until I passed out, till I blacked out. Um, it, there was no drinking in moderation for me at any point in my life. So uh, I started to alienate friends and family and started to not take phone calls from family, and I would go months at a time uh, between talking to them. I, I cohabitated with a girlfriend uh, for about two years and uh, kind of learned a lot about what I didn't want to do in, in a relationship. Uh, didn't learn about much about what I should do, especially uh, in a Christian relationship. Graduated from A&M. I uh, came back home. I thought that a geographic change would make all the difference. I uh, moved back to Anderson County, lived it alone in a lake house, and I decided that I would be a teacher. And so I started going to uh, school at SFA, 
to earn a, a post-baccalaureate initial certification. Uh, and I did become a high school teacher. I taught high school business and computers. I did that for about three years. But all during that time, my alcoholism, it just progressed. Um, I, was, I got to the point where I was drinking every night. And I lived sort of this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde life. Uh, where I, I, I maintained the facade during the day, and I did what I needed to do to earn enough money so that I could make sure that I could buy the alcohol be, so that I could go to sleep because I couldn't sleep. I was in that cycle where I never could get a good night's sleep, and it got to the point where if I didn't drink, I would stay awake for days on end. And so I needed to work to get the money so that I could drink, so that I could go to sleep, so that I could get up and go to work and earn more money and drink and go to sleep. And this went on day after day for about three years and uh, I really was turning into um, just a complete wreck it, especially during the summers when I had the I was getting paid and I wasn't having to work and and I mean I really uh, uh, consumed quite a bit of alcohol during that time uh, I was completely isolated I was uh, in poor health I, I lost a tremendous amount of weight over the summer I, I got to the point where I couldn't even hardly uh, climb a flight of stairs uh, my body had uh, feeded off itself so much. Eventually, I wound up uh, getting a second DWI. I went into uh, outpatient rehab and inpatient rehab, uh, and then I wound up uh, causing a wreck. Uh, and I got a, it was essentially a, a third DWI, but it was also an injury DWI. And I heard a lady; she broke her leg. I got charged with intoxication assault. After that wreck, I haven't had to drink alcohol, and that was on the fourth of March of two thousand two even though I consider my date of sobriety to be June 6, 2002, because that was the first day that I decided that I would do something about it and I would uh, go to another anonymous program. And I did have a, uh, a powerful uh, sort of conversion experience at that time. I was, at a, I was desperate. I was about to go drink again. I was losing my mind, and I was at my parents' uh, parsonage. I got on my knees. I started off praying. I was begging the Lord for help. They were already in, asleep. Uh, and I, I don't know how long the prayer lasted, but it was the most sincere, heartfelt prayer I've ever had in my life. Uh, I was just begging God for help. And I just kept getting lower and lower, and I was eventually just laying completely flat on the carpet, just face straight down, bawling, uh, asking God for help. Through that process, somehow, uh, God lifted me up, and I, I felt a little bit better, and I made it through that night because I was so desperate to drink. Uh, and I, I pray that He would just give me the strength to make it to a meeting. Because I needed one really bad, but I was scared to go. And he got me to a meeting uh, the next day, and uh, that was June 6, 2002. Since then, it's been a, it's been a slow progression. Uh, I stayed sober for a year. I still had to pay for my crimes. I had to. Uh, I got uh, sentenced to five years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. I did two years in TDC. Uh, I got out and made parole. Uh, didn't drink, didn't get in any trouble. I did exactly what they told me to do. Had a breathalyzer on my truck, uh, went to work, and uh, did what I needed to do. And I uh, still haven't had a drink since then. I still make plenty of meetings. That sort of takes me forward to, to when I started coming to New Life two years ago. But during that time, I really didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I just went to church, but I kind of kind of dreaded it. Uh, I, was, I could easily be talked out or not going. Me and my grandmother would go to church, and one day she might say, well, I don't feel like going. So I say, okay, we won't go. And, and another day I would say, well, I don't really feel like going. And she'd say, well, I don't want to go either. And so we really wound up uh, uh, keeping each other from going sometimes. Uh, and it seemed like when I went to church, I always was trying to think about what I was going to do next. I never paid attention uh, to what was going on. 
and then I would always pick apart the service when it was over. I mean, I was grumbling. I was complaining about what the message, the music, whatever was going on. And, and that's just not the way to, to, to worship the Lord. And, uh, and so I realized I needed to change. But th- this went on for a number of years. And eventually, a good friend of mine who goes to this church and is in Celebrate Recovery invited me uh, to go to, to CR and said I really ought to give it a try. And it took about four months for him to uh, finally get me to show up. And uh, another friend of mine decided we'd show up and uh, we'd, we'd do them a favor by showing up. Since we knew everything there was to know about recovery, uh, which we didn't, but we thought we did. Uh, when we thought, well, well, I'll go check out that church. And I thought that this was kind of a crazy church, and it was in a roller skating rink, and and you know all the stories we hear. Uh, I think uh, at one point I thought that that there was this kind of pitch that was out front, and I didn't know if they handled snakes or fought chickens or what was going on there. Without saying that jokingly, uh, but anyway, once I started going to CR and I started going to church here, things really started to change for me, and I, I started to get this hunger and this desire uh, for the Lord. And then uh, I, I got to a point where I really uh, got into the Word. And at that point, I, w- I just went in my Bible. And finally, I started reading the Word every day. And since then, I hadn't put it down. And I, and I really want to get into it. And I've enjoyed the men's uh, Bible studies that we've had and the conversations, hearing their opinions on things and, and kind of debating it. I've never had that anywhere else before. Uh, it always seemed to me that the men in the church were kind of this unapproachable older fellas that you just kind of shook hands with and said pleasantries to and then you, then you went your own ways when it was over. Um, during this time, uh, I also uh, got cancer uh, in, in my right kidney, a renal cell carcinoma. Uh, it all happened very quickly. I, I thought I had some kidney stones, thought they were going to need to kind of bust them up and had a CAT scan and MRI. Next thing you know, I find out that, that I've got cancer. Uh, and it all happened so fast within about two weeks of getting that diagnosis, they had me in surgery and they removed my right kidney. And through that time, my new life, my new life friends and family, they they were there for me. They prayed for me. They came to see me in the hospital, and I, and I couldn't wait to get back to to celebrate recovery. That's the only time that I've missed. I'm hesitant to make that a part of my testimony because I don't feel like that I have sort of suffered the way others have in cancer. I shouldn't really look at it like that because God delivered me from that. He He helped He helped me. Uh, I've had a six month scan recently. Uh, there was no cancer. Uh, blood tests were good, uh, chest x-ray. Everything's good. And I give all the credit to God because he, he kept the cancer that I had completely in my kidney. They removed it, and, it was, and it's been totally gone. I'm just so thankful uh, for New Life and for uh, Celebrate Recovery, for the fellowship here, uh, the friendships. And I, j- I wouldn't trade it for anything. All of us, not just uh, – let me turn that around here. Not just uh, Dave and Michael. I think you could probably say all of us have distinct needs in our lives. And that need is usually involves, you know, some type of healing. We need recovery. Um, all of us have issues. Uh, Doug wouldn't, Doug will tell you that, uh, or has told you in the past that, uh, you know, he was one of the first persons to uh, go through recovery when we started it. All of us, uh, have reached the bottom or we're going to reach a bottom at some point in our life. The apostle Paul tells us in Romans what it will take to start overcoming the things that overcome us. Look at this verse. It's a Romans six 11. It's in a King James version. Uh, 
this may be the first time you've ever heard the King James Version in this church. So I want to be the first. It says, uh, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the reason I chose the King James Version is for one word. And it, that is that popular word in East Texas, in East Tennessee, if Brian Swallow was still East Louisiana, East Alabama, East Mississippi, wherever you want to call it, but it's that word reckon. Okay. You know, if you, uh, if you know, Sharon is probably the only one besides me that remembers the Beverly Hillbillies. That was one of their favorite words. You know, I reckon I'm coming to go over to your house and have some vittles over yonder, you know, one of those type things. So Casey's grinning. He's watched them. Okay. Reckon means to consider, to uh, to calculate, to figure out, okay? Here's another version that Amplified Bible says, Romans 6, 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and yourself and your relationship to it broken, but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. So Paul here, he's challenging us to figure things out. Okay, Paul is saying, figure out that you're messed up and the only way to be broken from it is to have an unbroken relationship with Christ Jesus. Okay, most of us have done the opposite. We're using dead reckoning, dead reckoning to navigate through life, dead reckoning according to Google, you know, and that's everybody's dictionary now, right? Is the process of calculating one's position by using a previously determined position or fix. In other words, we've let our issues or our fixes determine our position and or our path through life. Think about that a second. This is self-navigation. It is um, self-reckoning. And that is dead reckoning. Okay. A dead reckoning aboard a boat can many times uh, create you getting lost, getting off course, can cause you to uh, hit bottom, run into a reef. Sometimes it causes us to sink. And I don't know if I've got my, uh, yeah, here it is. What I use to keep that from happening on my boat, there's a picture up there and you can see the real thing right here. And you can see it up on the screen. The uh, It's a Humminbird 797. Now that looks like a fine piece of machinery, doesn't it? I got made fun of after the first service because they think I'm doing a Humminbird commercial. But you can see right up here, it's got inside of it, it's got a map of the lake. And actually right in this little door, it has uh, everything that all the lakes that you would want to go to. It also, give me that other picture, Justin. You can see up there, it's got color that tells me where the fish are under the boat. It's got a little another thing that's called sonar imaging that is in these two pictures, side imaging. That sonar image shows what's on the bottom, okay? It's a pretty amazing piece of equipment. Believe it or not, that technology is 10 years old. And there's a book about this thick, Okay? I can do, there's stuff that I don't even know how to do yet with this thing, but I want you to know this. 
It's the same sometimes in our relationship with Christ. We don't have all the answers yet. So one of the things I want to tell you too, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I use this hummingbird on my boat. It has all of those functions. It has the color fish finder, has that little chip inside with all of the, all of the maps that I need. It keeps me from getting lost. That little side imaging tells me everything that's on the bottom. Um, that permanently mounting the base of that 797 to my boat allows me to navigate that boat and be productive fishing. Okay. Ask Brandy, where's she at? I send you pictures because she likes to fish and I like to irritate. So every time I go fishing, I send her pictures to irritate her because she didn't get to go. Um, putting Christ in your life is like permanently mounting that 797 to the boat. Okay. His spirit keeps you on course. Um, he knows where the bottom is when you don't. He also left a map and that's his word. And he tells us in his word that we're supposed to hide that in our heart. Okay. You see, Christ, Christ wants to lead you into a productive life. He wants to make you fishers of men just like he did those disciples. He wants to be able to tell you, hey, pitch the net on the other side of the boat because that's where the fish are. He wants you to be productive. That dead reckoning thing is, is guessing. It's based on an earthly view. It's based on your view. It's based on man's view. It's not based on a view from the heavens or the creator's view. Until we reckon or figure it out or figure out that Christ has led us, needs to lead us through this life, we're dead reckoning based upon our last fix, our last spiritual or emotional high, or sometimes, which is worse, our last lapse, our last relapse, our last low in our life. I don't want my life centered around that. Celebrate recovery is what these guys that did their testimony. Celebrate recovery is for all your hurts, habits, and hangups. It's not just drugs and alcohol. You know, when we figure out that thing that is controlling us, it's not always drugs and alcohol, is it? It can be anger, it can be grief, it can be bitterness, unforgiveness. What about obsessive control? What about pornography? All of those things, that's what Celebrate Recovery is about, by the way. Reckon in this verse means that you and I have gotten out of that denying that we got any problems. And we've become alive to God through Christ. That's what that verse means. As you saw in the testimony for Michael, it was on the floor of his parents' home, a parsonage. Okay? He was raised in a, in a, in a Christian home. But we still mess up. For Dave, it was battling through depression in 2009 and a reckoning in 2010. Okay? He figured it out. To once again paraphrase 611, this is Jeff's paraphrase, it's this. Figure it out. Admit that we have an issue or you have an issue. And healing will come through a new life in Christ. That's what that verse is telling us. What Paul is challenging us to do. The next thing I want you to know is found in Romans 6.13. 
Man, there's that King James version again. Man, Doug is, y'all, y'all don't tell him that we went old school. It says this, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Once again, I use this verse because I liked a word in there that wasn't in the other versions. And it's the word yield. I spent a week, two or three weeks ago in Houston. That's a word nobody in Houston knows the word yield. Okay. If you've anybody, if you've been there lately, maybe Dallas too, but Houston is by far to me the worst. Um, it means this. In other words, don't give in to the problem and do the things that are not good, but do the things that only God could lead you to do. Here's a, another version in NLT. It says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. In other words, do the next right thing for the glory of God. Now, I'll give you my opinion which I think is correct, by the way. I believe it is possible to ask Christ into your life and never yield to his leadership. I can have that. I mean, I love this thing. I can have that little deal right there and that little deal right there, and I can have it mounted on my boat permanently, but if I never turn it on, is it of any good to me? I can have it permanently mounted, fixed on the boat, and never plug it into the mount. Okay, might as well have a boat anchor. Okay, I can turn on the 797 and ignore the information that it's showing me. So, and I'm not going to be productive. I believe, and I want to read this twice to you because this is beyond Jeff. I said, I believe they're residing in the act of yielding. There is always... There always exists a conscious focus of trust. Think about that. I'm going to read it again. I believe they're residing in the act of yielding. There will always exist a conscious act of trust. Yielding means that we're trusting in a higher power who is Christ. Okay. This means yield yourselves completely to God and to be used as an instrument for God. When I think about instruments, I talk to these, these, the band all departed. They didn't want to hear me twice. I don't blame them. But, uh, I said, when I think of instruments, I think of musical instruments that have that imperfection, that have that ding that makes them one of a kind. All of us have dings and imperfections. And I hate to tell you this, it's called sin. Um, the thing that Paul challenged us to quit dead reckoning through life and yield to the guide, the counselor, the truth. Doug mentioned two weeks ago that verse in John fourteen six that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We have to yield to the one who knows the way. See, if I, if I don't turn this on, then I'm not going to know where I'm going. David and Michael have yielded their, as you can tell, 
from their testimony. These guys have become instruments of God in leading and working in CR and in AA. CR and AA has become a uh, place for these guys where they can share Christ with those who have been dead reckoning through life. Brandy's the same. Most of you, a lot of you have been in Celebrate Recovery, have led in Celebrate Recovery. It's no different. So the challenge here is the question, how are you navigating through life? Have you hit bottom? Like Dave said, do you know that God loves you so much that he nailed all of your junk on that cross? You have to understand that. Maybe you've hit bottom and Christ has already caused your issue or issues to lose its grip. So maybe the reckoning, reckoning has allowed you to release, you know, that to be released from that, but you still haven't yielded. Yielding is where you're at. Okay. You need to allow God to use you and your past as an instrument for others who are out there dead reckoning through life. Uh, those remember are dead reckoning through life based upon their last fix, their last issue, or that issue that's controlling them. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we just uh, ask you this morning to allow your spirit to talk to our hearts. Many of us have, uh, got those issues that we've just desperately buried in our lives. And uh, they're controlling us, and we don't even even know it. Lord God, let us have the courage this morning to say, hey, um, I need to tell somebody about that. I need that out of my life. I need to do what, uh, what it, whatever it takes to grow closer to you, God. I, I pray right now that... Uh, that everyone leave here just a little bit closer to you and begin, you, you just begin to work in their lives and in their hearts on the decision that they need to make. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Doug always asks you to respond, okay? So take out your registration card, and I want you to write something on the back for Doug, okay? For Doug. Number one, maybe it's something like this. I've hit bottom. Just write, I've hit bottom. I need help. Just write that on there if that's where you're at. Number two, I don't know him, and that's a capital H. I don't know him. I need Christ, and I need a new life. Okay? Write number two, I need Christ, don't know him. Number three, write reckoning. I'm in that reckoning phase. I'm trying to figure out how to let Christ lead me. So number three is reckoning. How do I let Christ? I I want to know. I'm figuring it out. Number four is I'm yielding. There's a lot of folks in here that are yielding to God's calling them to do something. This is your opportunity. Right on there, I am yielding to Christ and being used to you fill in the blank. God is using me too. I have yielded to this. Um, Justin back there, he's a, you know, he leads the men's Bible studies on Wednesday night. 
we got the landing starting. Brandy's going to be is leading that because that's what God has called her to do. You got a whole group of guys that come up here and lead us in worship because they are yielding to what God has called them to do. Question is, write it down if you're yielding in an area of your life. It doesn't necessarily have to be here, but you need to be yielding to him, Skull. Write it down.